it's, um, it's good to be back in this church. Uh, last time, first and last time I was here uh, was for Pastor Chris, Chris's uh, installation here as a pastor. And uh, we've been uh, together in a covenant group for pastors for uh, quite a few years right now. And uh, I'm going to tell you that um, um, what impressed me uh, about this church is in front of your bulletin, you're saying this is a learning church. Then also, uh, this is a cross-centered church. <laughs> and the message today will bring those into our radar. And um, I do know that a portion of this uh, scripture was uh, preached from last week. Uh, Pastor Kurt, uh, Pastor Chris said that uh, it is okay to go back to it again for a while and then we'll continue with... Um, the rest of the scripture that was read. The message comes from um, Paul, who never visited the church in Colossae. He was not their pastor. They had a pastor. His name was Epaphras. Yet uh, Paul has a deep passion and love for the church in Colossae. He learns about their struggle. He learns about um, the false teaching. He learns the fact that um, because of the speculations, the occult speculations, there was a, a rise of an appetite in the church where people desired more than just Christ. A group of the people in the church was fascinated with uh, angelic spirits, fascinated with uh, rulers and authorities. And his desire was to bring them together and bring their eyes to be fixed on Jesus and only on Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 2, he says, I am contending. I am determined. My love for you, my passion for you, my desire for you is... Uh, driving me to this goal in my life, in my ministry, that, that you will be encouraged in the heart and united in love. Because only then you will have the full riches and understanding of the mystery of God, which is Jesus. Because in Jesus are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And because of that, he says, I tell you that no one 
no one should deceive you or cheat or rob you or kidnap your thinking, plunder your hearts with fine-sounding arguments. No one should be able to influence your thinking. For even though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And I delight hearing the fact that you are steadfast. You, you, you are dis disciplined and you are firm in your faith in Christ. So then just as you heard from the teachers in the church, just as you heard from your pastors, he's saying, continue to walk. Continue to walk your lives in him, in Jesus Rooted and built up in him. There's a switch from walking, which means being active, to being rooted and built. Not on him, but in him, in Jesus. Rooted, built, strengthened in your faith as you were taught. With overwhelming thankfulness. Eucharistia. That's what we do when we come to the table. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We call it the Eucharist. It's a spread of thanksgiving. The, the table is set before us as we partake of the blood and the body of Christ. We remember what he did for us with thanksgiving. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. But you have to be aware. You have to be careful because there are some people that will come with uh, hollow thoughts, empty hollow thoughts, and deceptive philosophy, speculations. Immersion's mysticism, which depends on human tradition. Later, this tradition is referred as Kabbalah. Elementary spiritual forces of this world. Teachings that are emphasizing uh, eating, drinking, washing hands, Pagan symbolism rather than Christ. In verse 9, and verse 10, verse 11, is what I want for us to look at this morning. Each one of these verses is saying this, for in Christ, Verse 10, and in Christ. And verse 11, in Christ. So what is Paul doing? He's, he's focusing their attention like, like a bullseye, saying, don't look anywhere else. Don't listen to anything else. But, but look at Jesus. Because in verse 9 says, in Christ is the fullness of the deity. 
the Godhead lives in bodily form. He is referring to the incarnation of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, the scripture says about Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God. And listen, He is the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. They're not separable. They're together. There's unity within Godhead. And if you remember in John chapter 14, when Jesus was talking about going to, to the Father's place and preparing a place for the disciples and promising that he would come back to, to take him so that they would be with him, uh, there was one of the disciples, Philip. He was kind of confused and he said, show us the Father. Do you remember what Jesus said? Philip, I've been with you all this time. And whoever sees me also sees the Father. Yet in John 1, the scripture says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And his glory which was beheld was the glory of the only begotten of the Father. God incarnate, descending and living among us in Jesus Christ, Jesus came and he became one of us. Paul first wants to eliminate any doubt from the Colossians' head, saying, when you look at Christ, you look at the whole unity of God. The whole Godhead dwells in him. And then he goes in verse 10 and he says this. In Christ, in this entity, you have been brought to fullness. Because he is the head over every power and authority. In Christ, you have been made full. You are complete in him. In Christ, you have the shalom, the completeness, not only the absence of evil, but peace, even peace that surpasses all human understanding. In Christ, you receive victory. John 1.16, from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. Ephesians 1.23, God put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him as head of all things to the church, which is the body and the fullness of him who fills all and all. We may have strength 
to comprehend in Christ. With all the saints, what is the, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that is surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all and the fullness of God. Galatians chapter 5. In Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and enables us to bear fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All this you receive in Christ. You are made complete in Christ and only in Christ. Because he, not only that, but he is victorious. And he is the head over every power and authority. So we saw that uh, uh, Christ, in Christ dwells the whole fullness of God. In Christ we are being made complete. And then verse 11 says, in him, in Jesus... We are all also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. In reference to the act of circumcision as practiced for thousands of years by now, we are reminded when God told Abraham in Genesis 17, to circumcise himself, his household, and his slave as an everlasting covenant of faith. But you see, here we have a reference to the circumcision of the heart. And we are thinking that in the Old Covenant, God required the circumcision in the flesh. And in the New Covenant, in the covenant that Paul is talking about here, we are circumcised in the Spirit. But wait, even back in the law of Moses, God required the people to be circumcised in their heart also. God does not desire for us just to give up our exterior um, transformed flesh. He's impressed with the hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your hearts. And be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no, 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 no bribe. Chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offsprings so that you will love the Lord your God with all your hearts with all your soul and with all your life. 
In Jeremiah chapter 4, God calls for the circumcision of the heart. So the circumcision of the heart is not only something of the New Testament. God desires also that we will experience the transformation of our hearts. Your whole self is ruled by the flesh. But through this circumcision of the heart, that self-ruled flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. The body of flesh was put to death. The body of flesh was transformed. The passions and the lusts were cleansed, were removed, as you and I, we experienced the inward cleansing and renewing. And Paul describes that as uh, the putting off, as the stripping off, something that is of the world. Ephesians chapter 4, if you heard about Christ and were thought in him put off, your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the support, in the, in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See that? Requires putting off, stripping off, removing all that's not of God, and clothing ourselves with righteousness and holiness in Christ. We are to experience the circumcision. Romans chapter 6 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried before with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. This is what Paul talks about here. In the circumcision of Christ, as we experience that circumcision of, of Christ, we have to experience being buried in him. Buried, raised, and living by faith. Paul talks a lot about the former life. Each one of us have that time in our lives when we were wanderers away from God. We pursued our own desires. And the scripture declares us that uh, 
when we were uncircumcised, we were outsiders, we were haters of God. But the Spirit of God came into us and changed us. But in that process, first we had to be buried with Christ. Now, when do you bury a person? After the person dies. Now, think about that person. Think about that person's desires. They're none. A dead person's plans, they're none. A dead person's joys and attractions, they're none. A dead person is dead. And this is what Paul is saying. We need to be dead and buried with Christ. Because in Christ, our sins were buried. He paid the price for our sins. And we have a promise that if we identify with Christ in his death, we will also be identified with him in his life. For Paul says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Raised with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Once a man is in Christ, he is a new creature. His old self is vanished. See, a new self has risen. Buried with Christ. Raised with Christ. And living by faith. I love how he puts it in the work of God. There's a sermon right there. We live by faith in the works of God, not ours. If we were to live our faith by our own strength, if we were to try to keep ourselves away from sin by our own strength, we'll be in big, in big, big problem, trouble. But God in Christ is always there to provide for us, to lead us, to guide us, to hold us back, to encourage us, to do whatever it's needed for us to stay focused and to live a life that is worthy of the calling. The name that he gave us, we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Verse 13 is a quick restatement of this process, the process of our salvation, our changing, renewing, and transformation. 
when you were dead in your sins, and you were walking away when you were estranged. Even Paul writes in Romans that when we were enemies to God, So when we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive. God quickened us to life. God awakened our spirit, our conscience. God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus on the cross. And he forgave all our sins. How did he do it? Verse 14 says this. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. He blot out our sins. He removed our sins. He smeared out. He wiped away. He gave us a clean slate, a fresh start. Actually, the, the, the counseling, it's, it's like erasing with a hand, using a hand to erase what was written with a hand. When, when I read this, I, I remember a story from the Old Testament. It's written in, in Daniel chapter 5. We have a, a rebellious king there. His name is Belshazzar. He had a thousand lords, and he was drinking with them. They were partying, and they were drinking wine from the vessels that were brought from the temple, the plunder from the temple. In their lust, in their passions, everything was there except any worries and concern about God. And while they were drinking and partying, they were singing praises to gods, to different gods, the gods of gold, silver, bronze, wood, stone. They were singing praises to the idols. And, and right there, the scripture says that suddenly there was a hand on the wall writing something that immediately sent the king into panic. The king became pale, his limbs gave way, and his knees started to knock together. This is what that hand wrote there. It's mene mene tekel parsin. This is what Daniel translated to mean. It's, uh, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. The second word is, you have been weighed in balances and you were found wanting. And third, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Actually, the hand wrote the decision, the sentence, the ending of this king. It was done. And... and, and in the same way, in the same way, Paul is saying that 
We were indicted for our sin. There was a hand that was writing our sentence to die because of our sins. But the hand of God in Jesus, he wiped away that sin. And he made us new for him. We stood to be condemned. We were facing the wage of our sin, and that is death. Satan and the world pointed their fingers at us because we were guilty. But Christ, in his love so great. He stood before God the Father and he said, Here I am, send me. Can you imagine what love that is? Here I am, send me. And today, Christ is at the hand of God interceding for us. He's showing the palms of his hands and he says to the Father, I have engraved them in my hands. But the story is not yet over because verse 15 saying that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, and he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know what that is? Not only that he saved us, he made us new, but he gives us victory. Because all the powers, all the authorities that will come to attack us, they're under the control of Jesus in our lives. He disarmed the powers and the authorities, and through the Holy Spirit, he's exposing them. He gives us victory. So we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we see what David said. I praise you, for I am Fearfully and wonderfully made. Made in the image of God. Called and sustained to life by the grace of Jesus and Jesus only. Paul concludes chapter 11 of Romans. And he brings everything together in this doxology, pointing to Jesus. And he says, all the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are the judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For whom he has known the mind of, Lord, of the Lord or whom has been his counselor or whom has given a gift that he might be repaid. For, listen, for... 
from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let me pray.